This year we married 10 years, um, and I'm really excited. <laughs> um, the reason I'm mentioning that is not because I want to mention that uh, my wife is here, but I just want to say, the, as, as we grew together from year one to year 10, I found myself getting to enjoy her more and more and more. I got to know her better. I got to understand her nature. I got to understand the way she thinks. And um, some of the fights we used to have you know, five years ago, we're no longer fighting over that stuff because it's small stuff. You know, it used to be such a big issue, you know, but today you look and say, why were we fighting over this? It's because we did not understand each other. Hallelujah. You would agree with me in any relationship. Um, if the relationship is not getting better with the year, maybe there's something not right with that relationship. Because when you are in a good relationship, in a healthy relationship, you get to know what to do and what not to do. Hallelujah. You get to know what to expect and what not to expect. You see, when you are coming into my car for the first time, you would find that you'd be very tense when I'm driving because you don't know how I drive. But when I've driven you a couple of times, you'll understand exactly how I drive. And you become more and more comfortable. One evening we went with Loxley to our church in Pretoria East. <laughs> Sounds great, isn't it? Yeah, you're going to hear more about that. <laughs> so I drove Loxley with my wife and um, another lady and, his, and her kids. And uh, Loxley was like, Hey Michael, you realize you're, you're driving and you're balanced because you're holding on the steering wheel. We are here behind, the, behind you and we're not, we are not in balance. You're shaking us all over the place. So the next time I said to him, so looks like you're coming to join us. He says, yes, I'll join you, but I won't drive with you. <laughs> Do you know why? It's because I was not comfortable with the way I was driving. So when you're talking about the nature of the bridegroom, it is important for you and I to have more and more understanding of this bridegroom. Because if we do not get to know more about Jesus, it will become a difficult relationship to maintain. Yeah. I've come to realize that there are certain relationships that you get into and they are high maintenance. Are you in a high maintenance relationship? It wears you down. You don't look forward to meeting up with that person because you feel like, I have to convince him all the time that I am for real. And what I'm saying is genuine. So if you do not grow in your knowing of Jesus, that relationship becomes a drag. And yet, the more we grow in our walk with Jesus, our relationship with him should be sweeter than yesterday. We should be able to look forward to spending time with Jesus because you understand what he wants you to do. And I want to highlight this morning that Jesus is so huge that we can never really come to say, I now know exactly everything about him. But by his grace, he allows us to get to know more and more about him. Otherwise, he ceases to be God the moment we understand everything about him. The reason why I'm interchanging Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, is because we believe in the Trinity. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So don't get confused. See, he's talking about the bridegroom. Why is he talking about God? Why is he talking about the Father? Just for me to bring that to light. So last week we, we started on this topic. His nature compels us to say yes to him. The nature of the bridegroom compels us to say yes to him. So we read in John chapter 4 the story of the Samaritan woman. And the first characteristic of the nature of the bridegroom that stood out was that Jesus pursues after you. Hallelujah. Jesus is after you. It doesn't matter how low you have gone. The nature of Jesus is such that he doesn't give up on us. No matter how much we have disappointed ourselves. You see, there are times where we look at what we've done and we are so disappointed with ourselves that we fail to stand up. But when Jesus comes to us, he says, as long as you realize that you've made a mistake, I have something to work with. It becomes a problem when I don't realize my flaws. When the word of God comes into my life, because remember the Bible says the word of God is like a mirror. So when I look intently into the mirror of the word of God, what the word does, it tells me the way I am. And now when I see the way I am, it is the response that determines the recovery. 
Glory be to God. The way I respond to the word of God will determine how quickly I will recover from whatever knocks I have experienced in my life. So Jesus pursues after you. He pursued you before you were born again. After you're born again, he still pursues you today. That's the nature of the bridegroom. Secondly, we said he is one man who understands human nature. And we've got to understand that one of the human needs that we have is to be understood. I want to know that you understand where I'm coming from. And guess what? When it comes to Jesus, he understands human nature because he came down in the form of a man and he died the death of a sinner. So when you come to Jesus, there's absolutely no emotion that you can bring before him. And he says, I have never come across this emotion. Are you grieving today? Jesus understands how grieving can really destroy us. Are you rejected today? You feel like you're good for nothing and whatever is happening around you is pointing south. When you go to Jesus, he understands exactly what you're going through. Because the Bible says he went to his own and his own rejected him. I remember when I was 16, my dad had died three years prior. So in 1993, he, he died. Now what happened is that stuff happened in our families. Those of you who come from African families, you know stuff happens when somebody dies. There are some who are interested in what's left behind. So stuff happened in my family. And I remember one of the moments, one of my uncles stood and says, from today onwards, you are no longer part of the Manuni family. Straight up. That shook me to the core. It shook my mom because it was being said to me and my mom. But what sustained me was the nature of the bridegroom. Because he had been rejected before. When I went before him and I poured out my pain, he was able to deal with my pain. I've come to realize that in life, sometimes you are better positioned to help me when you've gone through what I'm going through. And I would like to qualify that. If you have not gone through certain things, it doesn't mean you are disqualified from dealing with those issues. But there are certain times where you've got to go through certain experiences for you to be able to minister effectively to somebody. You see, you can minister to someone who's grieving today very well in a profound manner, but I want you to know it goes to another level when you have gone through grieving yourself. Because you start doing certain things that you would not do ordinarily because all of a sudden it's not making sense to you. So the nature of the bridegroom is in such a way that there's nothing that you and I can bring before him that he cannot deal with. That is why whenever you have issues, your first port of call should be him. It should not be the pastor, not even your best friend. The first port of call should be the bridegroom because there's nothing that you can bring before him that will shock him. So that was the second issue we learned that the bridegroom understands human nature. So today we're going to go to the third point. Let's go read John chapter 4 from verse 7. We understand the story here that in verse 6, the Bible talks about how Jesus had gone to this well of Jacob and after having walked a long journey from Judea, he was very tired and there he sat at noon. I'm not sure what Jesus was waiting for, what he was anticipating. But I believe because there was something that drew him to this city, he was waiting for that moment of encounter with this daughter who was in need of help. Now the Bible says in verse 7, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. 
Last week I alluded to the fact of the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. Where the Jews had a view concerning the Samaritans. They viewed them as people who were unclean. They viewed them as people who were second grade in terms of humanity. That was the perception that the Jews had over the Samaritan people. Now we see Jesus here striking a decent conversation with the Samaritan woman. There were two things that were working against this woman. One, she was a woman. Two, she was a Samaritan. The reason I'm saying one, she was a woman, it was because back in those days, women were not valued that much by society. Now Jesus was here conversing with this woman right to the issue where he was saying, please, can you give me some water? You see, you will not ask somebody to give you food unless you trust that they're not going to poison you. Somebody didn't hear me. You will not ask certain things from people unless you're sure that what they'll give you is something that will not destroy you. And here we see Jesus asking this Samaritan woman, can you please give me some water? This was never had before and it was a shock in the system of this Samaritan woman. Now there was a perception attached to this woman. We hear that this woman had been through five husbands already. And I like to imagine that people in that community were very suspicious of her. Now here's Jesus talking to this woman who was not really seen in any value by her own community. So she was very suspicious. She was now confused. Like you are a Jew and you are asking me for water. What excites me about this situation is that the Lord Jesus was not moved by public perception concerning this woman. And this brings me to my third point. When the bridegroom comes to you, he does not treat, treat you according to public perception. Hallelujah. When Jesus engages you, he is not swayed or he is not, uh, he is not influenced by what people think about you. I don't know what people have been saying about you. I don't know what names you've been given by your own teacher in high school. And today you still hear the teacher knocking on her desk. Ba, 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 ba. You will never amount to anything. Or maybe it was your own dad who will tell you that the way you're going, you will never become anything. You see the stuff that I have here, you will never reach to that stuff. And today, many of us have become captive to the words we've heard when we were young. This woman was so captivated by the perception that people had over her that she could not believe that Jesus could speak to her in such a manner. Because she said to her, to him, you are a Jew. How come you're asking me for water? This cannot be. This cannot be happening. And this morning you've heard the word so many times, but because of what the negative stuff you've heard, you found it difficult to believe the word of God. You see, when you're talking about perceptions, it is the difference between an absolute truth based on fact and a virtual truth based on public opinion that is peddled around in the community. So when you look at public perception, it might be based on some facts, but more often than not, public perception is based on some fictitious ideas that people have concerning you. For instance, I know you don't drink. I know you're not involved in alcohol. But one day there is a party at your house and you're like, I'm going to buy some non-alcoholic champagne or non-alcoholic wine. And you walk into Tops down the road here. Yeah. You see, you know Tops, yeah. All right? <laughs> And then somebody sees you walking into tops. A perception is created. Whether we like it or not, a perception is created. Whether it's based on fact or not. The fact that I walked into top doesn't mean I drink. Do you feel me this morning? So we cannot live our lives around people's perceptions because they are fickle. People will love you today based on the fact that you gave them a lift. Tomorrow they will hurt you on the fact that you did not greet them because you did not see them. They'll say, no, he's very proudful. He saw me and he just turned his head around. Perceptions are drawn by things are of no value at all. Therefore, we cannot build our lives around perception. 
Now this morning I want to ask you a question. What has imprisoned you? Which perception has imprisoned you to a point where you can no longer stand up from your chair and do what you know you can do best? So when Jesus came to this woman, he refused to be influenced by the perception that people had over her, the fact that she was a Samaritan. You see, when the bridegroom comes into your life, he will not treat you based on public opinion. He will treat you based on what he planted inside of you when he created you. So he will speak to the treasure inside of you. But most of the times, because of what we've been subjected to, we are more inclined to accept failure than success. So when somebody comes to you and says, I really enjoy the way you teach, you take that with a pinch of salt. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus, when you look through his life, he has always gone against the grain. Whatever people would think is this is the right thing to do, this is how things should be done, Jesus would go right in the opposite. Almost to say, I'm coming to establish something very new. So when Jesus comes into your life, he will not come and reinforce the negative. He will come and reinforce the positive that is planted inside of you. But are we prepared today to cooperate and to align our view of ourselves in line with his view? There's a story of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. He was a Pharisee and one day he invited Jesus into his home. And he says, Master, please come. I want to give you something to eat. Again, we see Jesus doing something in the opposite. You see, the Pharisees were anti-Jesus. The Sadducees were against the ministry of Jesus. But when Jesus was invited by a Pharisee, he did not view him in the same way that he viewed, him, uh, he, they view, they viewed Jesus. So Jesus accepted the invite and he went and he have, had a meal with Simon, a Pharisee. But now I want you to see the view and the mind of the Pharisees towards other people. Luke chapter 7 verse 36. And one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city had, he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. The Bible calls her an immoral woman. Other versions think they call her a prostitute. So an immoral woman had that the master was around. Now I'm very encouraged by this woman because she knew Jesus better. She said, if I go to this one, he will not reject me. I have gone to others, but he is different. You see, when you view Jesus aright, you treat him differently. So this woman says, if I would go to any other man, it's either he would abuse me or he would kick me out of his door like a dog. But she said, I'll go to this one because this one is different. Because the way this one has been speaking, there's definitely something different about Jesus. So she went to Jesus. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on, on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She is a sinner. And I hear this every time in the church. He is a sinner. How can he come into this church? How can he sit in the front? The Pharisees was now forgetting that even in the eyes of God there was something wrong with him and yet God was not treating him in that way. Hallelujah. He, he easily forgot that there was grace extended to him by the Lord Jesus. And there he was judging this immoral woman. If this one is a prophet, he was already judging the integrity of Jesus. If this one was a prophet, he would know that this is an immoral woman. And therefore, he should have told this woman, you are too dirty to come close to me. Please get back to that place. Do you know what? We see this in church sometimes. Where somebody who had fallen off the bandwagon, they then say, I want to go back to my father's house. We make it very difficult for people to come back and reconnect to their father because of the holier-than-thou mentality. 
One of the reasons why people are scared to come back to church is because they are afraid to be judged. The reason why people don't come into our circles is because they feel when I come in between these believers, they'll be talking about me. But I want you to understand today that the church of God is meant to be a hospital. Hallelujah. You know, when you go to Unitas, you go to California, you go to any of these hospitals, you find people who are sick. People who've got wounds that have got pus coming out of it. You've got people who are smelling because they are sick in certain areas of their bodies. That is how the church should be like, where people come and they get cleaned. But guess what we have? The big brother mentality. Big brother mentality, you see it in the story of the prodigal son. When this brother came back to his father, the big brother was very angry because his young brother was not being treated well by his father. Now the, yeah, the big brother said, how can you throw a party for the one who had taken all this wealth? He is coming back, but I've been with you, but not once have you thrown a party for me. And the father said to him, my son, all that I have is yours. Can't we rejoice that the one who was lost has been found? What's our attitude today? Are we more prepared to receive the perception that comes from the outside than the perception that God brings through the truth? Another thing that excites me, that if Jesus is not swayed by public perception, guess what? He's also not swayed by your own perception of self. Hallelujah. You might have a very, very skewed view of yourself. But when Jesus comes, what makes him God is because he can change you. It is because he will not allow you to change the way he sees you. Our own perceptions can be very negative to a point where we're not able to rise up, as I've mentioned already. Look at what Gideon did. Gideon had an unhealthy view of himself because of his past experiences. Judges 6 verse 12, the Bible says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero. Other versions is, Mighty warrior. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. This is what God has been saying to many of us. Woman of power, woman of grace, the Lord is with you. But you look at yourself and you don't see grace. And we respond. This is how Gideon responded. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And I can hear somebody asking the same question. That if the Lord is with me, why is my marriage on the rock? If the Lord is with me, why am I not getting that job that I've wanted for a long time? If the Lord is with me, why have I not been able to buy a new car? But you see, when God came to Gideon, he said to him, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. You see, as far as Gideon was concerned, the hand of God was equivalent to everything working out for him. And therefore, the fact that nothing was working out, therefore it meant that God was not in the midst of things. Now, I want you to know something today. When God says you're a mighty hero, he was saying you are mighty not because of what you have done, but because of who is with you. Glory be to God. He says you're a mighty hero. The Lord is with you. This morning, child of God, all you need to know is that God is with you. Irrespective of what you're going through right now. But for Gideon, God was not with him because things were not working out well in his life. I've come to realize that when you are at school, your lecturer, your teacher will talk to you. He will teach you concepts. He will give you skills. And then when the test comes, guess what the lecturer does? He remains mum during the test. Not because he's not there. He can walk as an invigilator and see you're messing up. He doesn't tell you that you're messing up. He's waiting to see whether what he taught you, you were able to grasp. And the same thing happens sometimes. When the master teaches you stuff, there's a time when test comes. And when the test comes, he remains quiet. To see whether what he planted in you has actually brought forth fruit that he needs to see. Glory be to God. 
So some of you are going through tests right now and there seems to be silence from heaven. It's not because heaven doesn't see. It's because heaven is waiting for the test to have its perfect work in you. Glory be to God. Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles and all, uh, where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But the Lord, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? It looks like he had a reason for everything not working out. What reason do you have for things not to turn out right for you? When you read further down, Gideon says, but look here, I come from a place, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. You see, I love the patience of the Lord. Because despite this young man telling him why things should not work, God continued saying, I am with you. That is the nature of God. That is the nature of the bridegroom. That some of us can be as stubborn as anything, but he continues telling us, I am with you. It shall be well with you. Glory be to God. So the key to experience this dimension of the bridegroom is for us to realign our self-concept with his concept of us. So whatever you're going through, make sure that your thought pattern is in line with his thoughts concerning you. Glory be to God. Let's go to verse 11 of John 4. So Jesus was not telling this woman here. He says, Look here, you, you can ask me if you only you knew the one talking to you. So this woman pressed. Verse 11, she says here, But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed. You see, this woman was listening to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus was saying, if you knew who was standing before you, you would ask him water and he would give you water. She looked at Jesus. And in her mind, she's thinking, I've been coming to this well for a long time. I know that this well is very deep. And no one can get this water unless he has a rope and a bucket. So she looked at Jesus. She does not see a rope beside Jesus. She does not see a bucket beside Jesus. And she gets confused. Says, but how can you get me water, but you don't have the capacity to get the water for me? And guess what? This is what happens a lot of times. We view Jesus with a limited view. We look at him and we look at the issues that we're going through and we think God cannot sort this issue for me. But this morning I want you to understand that the fourth dimension of his nature is that he loves you from a place of abundance. Glory be to God. Jesus loves you from a place of abundance. This woman started telling Jesus why it wasn't going to work for him to give her some water. She told him, you've got no bucket and you've got no water, you've got no rope. Today Jesus is coming to you and he says here, I'm going to give you a job and this job is going to get you enough money to buy a house and to buy a car. And you answer back to Jesus and say, Jesus, do you understand that I've got no qualification? Do you realize that I'm not that educated to get a job that can afford me these kind of things? But you know what? When you start seeing Jesus as the one who is abundant, as the one who is overflowing, you will change what you say to him when the word is declared to you. And this morning, somebody here needs to have a mind shift where you've been having a, 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 a mentality that says this cannot be. You need to start seeing Jesus as the one who loves you from a place of abundance. You see, abundance is a mentality. It's a mind issue. 
is the way you view life. You see, a person who has a mentality of abundance looks at what they have and they look at the source. And they say the source is so abundant that even if I give what I have, there will be more coming my way. If you do not have abundance, a mentality of abundance, you will hold on to the little because you are not so sure that something will come again your way. So you hold tight to that, to that ten rand until the buffalo cries. <laughs> when you look at this, there's an animal on that, on the ten rand note. But when you have a mentality of abundance, you easily give away because you understand that where it is coming from, it is overflowing. And that is the mentality that we need to have as believers. So this woman looked at Jesus and gave him all reasons why it is not possible. And I've come to realize that our mind can play games on us. Your mind can give you plausible reasons why you cannot get married at your age. Can I get there this morning? Your mind can give you logical reasons why it won't be possible for you to get a child having gone through six years without a child. Your mind will tell you something that sounds very reasonable why your child cannot work out right. But the Bible tells us that we do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. Hallelujah. This morning I want to challenge your mindset today. That mindset that says it can't. So this woman was telling Jesus, no, it cannot. You see, because of the amount of failures we've experienced, we tend to confine God to what makes sense to us. You see, if you've been to six interviews, seven interviews, and not getting a job, guess what your mind starts telling you? Telling you, it's not for me. You go to the next interview, guess what? If you're not careful, you go in there with a mindset that says, I know the outcome. It's not going to work. But today I dare you to trust God again. I dare you to believe his word again. I dare you to say, Lord, if you say it, it settles it. And this is what makes a difference in people's lives. Because we hear the same word today, but some people will not take the word seriously. But some people will be like Mary, the mother of Jesus. After hearing that word, she said, let it be done to me according to your word, O God. Shall we say that today? Irrespective of how impossible the situation looks like. So this woman says, no, you can't give me water. You don't have the capacity. Do you know that God is called El Shaddai? The multi-breasted one. The one who has the fullness of all that we need. You see, what makes him so, so unique is that we might be 100 people here, but if each one of us will start praying, he will answer all of us at the same time. That's the nature of God. We limit God by what we have experienced before. This reminds me of an occurrence in the same city of Samaria. But this is what happened in the days of Elisha. There was a king by the name of King Ben-Hadad who was heading the Aramean armies. One day this, this king mustered his armies and they besieged the city of Samaria. The city of Samaria was closed out of the entire world and nothing was coming in. So the besiegement was so strong that it lasted for a long time that poverty came into that city. The poverty was so bad that a donkey's head started costing something in the range of 25,000 US dollars. This is 80 cents, 80 pieces of silver. If you do a conversion in today's terms, the donkey's head was costing $25,000. That is how bad things were in that city. Let's talk about bed droppings. You know bed droppings? They were costing $2,000, just a cup of bed droppings. That's how bad the situation was. Let me take it deeper. It was so bad that mothers started killing and eating their own children. It was so bad because one mother says, we're going to start with your, with your child. And they went on, they did whatever they did. That was how dire the situation was. You see, you would go through things in your life that sometimes the word of God starts making, stops making sense. You come to a place where I cannot read certain scriptures because they are contrary to my situation. 
Now, you see, God is an amazing God. In the midst of this dire situation, God releases a word. Just like you are hearing today that we serve an abundant God. What do you do when you hear that kind of a word? So Elisha the prophet, thank God for prophets. We need prophets in our days. We need the word of God. Because it is only the word of God that can take us out of trouble. You see, we can cry our blues. We can cry until, you know, we can put all our tears somewhere in a cup. But nothing will change. Unless there is the word of God, things will remain the same. Amen. Question, how much of the word do you have today? Because I want to tell you something. That the amount of word you have determines how quickly things will change for you. So the word came. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 7 from verse 16. Then the people of Samaria rushed out. Sorry, no, no, let's go to verse 1, sorry. 2 Kings 7 from verse 1. So Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. That's an equivalent of 350 US dollars. And 12 quarts of barley, of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. Verse 2. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that could not happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. How? This man was bold. It just speaks of where he was at. His spirit man was totally dissociated from God. But guess what? As I'm preaching right now, there are some of you who are being like this man. Who are like, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, say, say something deeper. I've heard that before. This man said to this prophet, that could not happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. People of God, there are times where we are better off just keeping quiet. There are times where we are better off just sew your mouth together and don't say that stuff. Because what comes out will disadvantage us. It will put us in a place where we can see other people prospering and not us. It's because of what we have said. So this man was too bold to say things like, even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven, this cannot happen. But Elisha replied, uh-huh. I hear what you're saying, but you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Disqualified by its reckless speech. The Bible says, the power of life and death is in our tongue. So what we say concerning our children can either build them or destroy them. What we say about our wives and our husbands determines whether the quality of marriage will get better or it will get worse. What we say about our bosses determines whether the environment in that workplace will get better or it gets sour by the day. So what happened here was that outside the city there were these four lepers. I think all of us know the story of the four lepers. These four lepers were so disadvantaged, they were cast out of the city and they were standing outside the city. And the four of them said, hey listen man, at some point we're going to die. Let's die trying something. They will say, we're going to go to the, where this camp, where this army is camped. Let's go there and see. If we die, we'll die trying something. Somebody needs that attitude. Yeah. You've got to die trying something. Because you never know if it's going to work or not, unless you try it. All you need is just a stint of faith. Just a little bit of faith. Because this man, I believe, there was a measure of faith in their hearts that said, listen, let's die trying something. You never know God would do something with us. So the Bible says as they were walking towards the Aramean camp, the Lord magnified the sound of their feet from just a mere four lepers to a multitude of an army. And then these Arameans had, there was a huge army coming. A huge army. These lepers disguised as a huge army. Glory be to God. Just talk about a little bit of faith. What it can do for you. It will turn around your nightmares into the greatest of dreams. Glory be to God. So the Lord saw these four lepers and he was moved by their faith. He came down and did a work on their behalf. The Aramean army 
fought each other, killed each other. When they got there, alas, there was so much food. So much food. They started doing whatever, trying to hide some of it. Like, mm, God did this for us. Let's not do this evil. Let's go back to the city and tell the people that there's food here. Now, this is where we see in verse 7. Well, verse 16, where the Bible now says, Then the people of Samaria rushed out and planted the Aramean camp. So it was true that five quarts of choice flour were sold that day for one piece of silver. You see, it's not for you to understand how the word is going to do things. It is for you to believe it. I don't know how God is going to do it. But my responsibility is to take him at his word. My responsibility is to say, Father, as long as you have said it, I believe it. I remember way back, I was a student in 2001 at UCT. My relatives, my parents paid my school fees for my first year. I think at that time, in 2000, it was about what, 36,000 rand. But that was a lot of money. So things went bad in Zim. Second year, they couldn't pay my second, my second year fees. And I remember in May of 2001, I went to some time of prayer and fasting, and the Lord spoke to me. And he says, I'm going to bless you in a foreign land. The same way that I blessed Daniel in Babylon, I'm going to bless you. In May of 2001, I held on to that word. I didn't know how God was going to do it. But to cut the story, the long story short, by the end of 2001, a South African company gave me a bursary for the rest of my studies. A company that, was, that had a policy written, you cannot fund foreign students. This is for South Africans. <sighs> Talk about God. God came through for me, but what I had to do was to believe his word and not to try to make sense of how he was going to do it. And that is where we stop. That is where our faith gets cut out because we're trying to make sense of how he's going to do it and then we, unbelief kicks in. Yeah. Glory be to God. So what was prophesied came into being. Now the Bible says the king appointed his officer to control the traffic at the gate. Just, you know, God does things. Put him, put him exactly where he's needed. So this, this officer was placed to control traffic. Think about trying to control the traffic of a whole city. Now the Bible says here, but he was knocked down and trampled to death as the people rushed out. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. May this not be your portion. Can we be a people who are like children again? Because the Bible says, unless you receive the kingdom of God as a child, you will not experience it. He had to be like a child to believe that the things will be just available tomorrow. From hyperinflation to no inflation. Glory be to God. So I'm saying here, God loves you from a place of abundance. But the issue is, do you view him as an abundant God? Oh, but your experiences are limiting your view of God. Let's look at our last point. In verse 13. Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life. Verse 15. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Very interesting story. Very interesting situation here. There was Jesus consumed in his heart for the eternity of this young woman. The heart of Jesus was consumed to see this woman come to the revelation of the truth. The heart of Jesus was consumed to see this child of Abraham to come to a place where she can see the true light. 
So he was telling her, if you drink the water that I give you, your spirit man will be regenerated and life will continuously come out of it. Jesus was saying, the moment you drink my water, you will no longer feel lonely. You will no longer feel rejected. You will no longer feel you're a second-rated citizen because you're living from the inside out. Glory be to God. But when this woman was talking to Jesus, and Jesus was saying, ask me of water and I'll give you water, she was thinking of physical water. And then she said to Jesus, Ah, give me this water because this is the kind of thing that I want. I was so tired of coming to the well every afternoon. Now you're saying if I have this water, I will never be thirsty again. This is fantastic. Give me the water so that I will no longer come to the well. Can you see here, view? Can you see what is going through her, her mind? She was thinking of a life of convenience. Can you imagine having everything that you need in your house? where you don't have to go to work. It just comes easy. So this woman could picture herself. I don't know how, what picture she was seeing, but in her heart, she was seeing herself drinking this water and never having been thirsty again and spending more time with these husbands, not having to go to the well anymore. In her mind, she was saying, oh yes, now I can stop seeing these other women at the well because I'm no longer thirsty. Now, can you see two dimensions of issues here? One, Jesus was excited about dealing with her need, but she was so consumed about wanting her want being met. So I want you to realize that when Jesus comes to your life, he is more interested in meeting your need than your want. Glory be to God. Jesus is interested in meeting your needs and not so much your wants. There is a difference here between a need and a want. A need is something that you require and you cannot live without. But a want is a desire, it's an additive, it's a nice to have. You can live without it. And this morning, saints, I would like to say, we are more needful of things of the spirit than things of this world. We are more needful of things of the spirit than things of this world. For a moment, I want you to picture the kinds of prayers you've been making in the past week. More often than not, there are requests that really had to do with the day-to-day things, like bread, like money, like food. And I'm not minimizing the value of those things, but I want you to know when it comes to the, to the bigger scheme of things, The wants can always be met, but if your need is not met, you'll die. Glory be to God. If your spiritual need is not being met, and if you're not growing spiritually, even you might have so much money, you'll not enjoy it. Glory be to God. The Bible says of what benefit is to a man to gain the entire world and lose his soul in the process. You see, the Bible says here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at the God's right hand. Think about things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the world, to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Child of God, it is so important for you to realize that when you master things of the spirit, things of this world become easy to handle. You see, when you grow spiritually and you grow in your authority in the spirit, guess what? It will be easy for you to command things out here. You'll be able to tell things where to go. When you grow in your spiritual wisdom, you'll be able to make decisions that will bring money into your life. So this morning I'm saying, pursue things that are of the Spirit. Because we are needful of those things today. The Bible says, since you have this new life, let's pursue things of the Spirit. The Bible talks about seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. But do you know what is happening today? We are reading that that scripture in reverse. Seek ye first all these things. 
and then his kingdom will come. There are people who say, I will go to church every single Sunday the moment I have a car. They'll say, the reason why I can't come to church every Sunday is because it's, it's a challenge to get on the taxes. It's difficult to wave down the taxes to go to church. It's a stress. Guess what? If God gives you a car and your spirit man is not yet mature, that car will lead you away from God. Because all of a sudden, people will start making plans for you. They'll say, on a Sunday, we are taking a trip to um, the Carnival City. Ah, you get calls from your relatives. Can you please drive us to the rural areas? There will be something all the time on a Sunday that requires your car. But if that car had come and you are mature in your spirit, man, you'll be able to draw boundaries. Glory be to God. So this morning, what are you pursuing? Have you been making certain requests and Jesus has not been paying too much attention on them and he's saying, I would rather have you ask for spiritual wisdom. I would rather have you asking for understanding because if you have understanding, there are certain things that you won't have to go through. Glory be to God. On Friday night, we were praying around the issue of asking God for high leverage issues. High leverage issues are things that when God gives you, it attracts many other things. So you get the one, it attracts many other things around you. Glory be to God. So this is what I was trying to share with us in these two Sundays. That his nature compels us to say yes to him. I don't know if you have any other reason today not to trust the bridegroom. And we've learned today that he is the one who pursues us. We don't pursue him. But you know what? When he has pursued you long enough, you will start pursuing him. Because you'll be falling in love with him. Glory be to God. And secondly, his nature is such that he understands you and me. He doesn't need us to, to explain too many things. When he comes to you and me, he does not treat me in line with public perception or even my own concept of self. He is so God and sovereign. He says, I know the plans that I have for you and that is how he's going to treat you, in line with his plans. And fourthly, we've learned that he loves you from a place of abundance. So when he asks you to do things, he knows that he can provide what he needs done in your life. Glory be to God. And finally, he will not always meet your wants, but he's interested in the need, which is your spiritual well-being. Glory be to God. Let's stand on our feet.